little kerfuffle, I feel pretty good. Um, so thanks, Simo. Thanks for doing that, just like we talked about. Um, today, I, I want to talk with you about um, what I think is probably the most relatable uh, passage in the Bible. That's just my opinion, but I hope that some of you will agree after we go through it. Um, uh, the passage was written by a guy named Paul, who wrote a fair chunk of, of the New Testament, which we read a lot in church. And, um, and I think the best part about this, this part of the Bible is that it doesn't really matter whether uh, you've been coming to church every week since you were 10 years old, uh, or you've come to church for the first time today. Uh, this passage is relatable to everyone. Um, it's one of those universal passages that we can all take something out of. So I hope that you find that's true for you. Um, it's found in Romans chapter 7, um, so this is a, one of the books that, that Paul wrote, um, and the bit that we're looking at today is just going to be a small chunk of basically this big rant that Paul goes on, and he does this a, a fair bit in the New Testament, goes on these big rants, um, and we're just going to have a look at that, at, at a small chunk of that. Um, so we're going to look at Romans chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 15, so I'll just Read the, read the verse that we'll be looking at today, and then we'll go through it a bit slower. Um, so, it says, For what I am doing, I do not understand... Oh, here we go, sorry. Is that up on the screen? All right. It says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Um, it keeps going and it says, For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, before we go back through it again a little bit more slowly, can I just get, and I won't pick on anyone, but can I get you to raise your hand if you identify with that verse at all in any aspect of your life? Yeah, good. I'm glad that most of us have got our hands up. Um, it's, it's pretty much all of us, right? Every, every time I read this, this passage of the Bible, it really hits me very hard because a lot of the time when you read the Bible, it's very difficult to, to apply what you're reading to what you do every day. It takes a little bit of imagination. You need to take it out of that context and put it into the context that we live in. But this verse of the Bible doesn't really need a lot, of, a lot of that. This verse of the Bible is very easy to apply to our own lives. Um, like, I go through this kind of thing every day. Uh, I, I really, I don't understand a lot of the things that I do. Um, and I'll tell you a bit of a story. I think some of the boys up in the back, I've told this story before. Um, so bear with me, boys. But when I was about 14 or 15, I... Um, I had a girlfriend, it was probably like, not. it's not Ash by the way, so it was a, I, had a, I had another girlfriend um, and yeah, so 14 or 15 and we'd been going out for a little while so our uh, relationship had been progressing for some time and we'd started out pretty slow, uh, we, had a, we had a few times, we had a bit of discreet but uh, thrilling hand-holding sessions uh, on the bus or in class up the back, um, so that was good and then it was actually about a week or two earlier, we'd actually progressed to the point where we'd had our first little 
little peck on the lips, right? So that was very exciting. Um, didn't sleep for a week. Mick's smiling. Mick's grinning. He knows what I'm on about. <laughs> so, and, so everything was going pretty well. I was up and about. Um, thought I was the man. And anyway, at this point, we, we'd been over to each other's places a, a little bit lately. And um, she was, it was a Sunday, Sunday morning and she was going to come around to my place that afternoon. Um, but in the morning, mum and dad said they were planning on going out for the day. And so my grandma was coming over to look after my brother and sister. And I guess to just keep an eye on things, um, just make sure everything went all right. So, you know, like mum and dad, they weren't born yesterday, all of that. So uh, dad just pulled me aside and had a quiet word with me before he left. And he said... Um, you know, I hope you two both have a really good afternoon. Enjoy yourselves, you know. Um, but at the same time, I just don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything inappropriate. And I remember him saying the words, don't embarrass me in front of your grandmother, <laughs> which I didn't really get at the time. So, so I'm listening. And at the time, I'm like locked in with him. I'm looking at him and I'm just going, yes, sir, no, sir, no. I wouldn't dream of doing anything like that, like... That is just so not me, Dad. I don't do that stuff. Um, so we we're, were all on the same page when he was saying it. Um, but I'm sure you know how the story goes. So my girlfriend comes over later that day. And we're sitting there watching a movie. Uh, not a very good movie, I guess. Because about halfway through it, she leans over and says, Oh, you know, I was just thinking, what do you think about um, maybe we could try making out? And I thought, oh... <laughs> This, I'd never done that before, and it was pretty, um, pretty exciting. So I thought we'd try it on. And so there we go. We're getting into it. And um, this is, again, this is the first time I've ever, ever had more than a peck on the uh, lips. So I was sort of honing my technique as we went. <laughs> and um, after about five minutes or so, the mouth was getting pretty dry, but I, I thought I was doing pretty well, holding my own. Uh, she wasn't pulling away or flinching or wincing or anything like that, so I thought, oh, I'm, right, I'm on the right track. Uh, but I'm sure you can guess what happened. About that time, we just, just, I was just hitting my stride, just getting my second wind. And uh, then Grandma decides it might be a good time to come in and give us some snacks. So she comes in with these fresh cookies she's just baked. You know, how do you guys like something to eat? And I'm like, Grandma, this is not the time. She catches us. In, right in the middle of it, and um, look, to her credit, she handled it pretty well, handled it like a pro. It made me think she might have walked in on a few, for a few rooms like that before, actually, but, <laughs> but she handled it pretty well, and um, you'll have to ask mum whether that's true or not. That's, that's just a guess. So, yeah, so... She comes in, she sort of dealt with the awkwardness pretty well, and she didn't deserve to walk into that messy, sloppy situation. But she did. Uh, and look, she made the best of a bad situation, but to this day, I, I don't really understand why I did that. I remember at the time, even right in the middle of it, right in the thick of it, I remember thinking, no good can come of this. I just know we're going to get caught. I know that it's not a good idea, but I was just doing it anyway. I had the desire to do what was good, but I just couldn't carry it out. 
Um, and this, this is exactly the kind of thing that Paul is talking about in this passage. Now, just for the record, I don't think there's anything wrong with kissing in general. Uh, but the point is that we all have moments like that where we know what we want to do in a given situation and we know what we should do. Um, but instead, we find ourselves doing the opposite. It's the same reason I've got a very well-used rewards card at McDonald's. Even though I think the food's really terrible and I don't think it's good to be eating it, I've got a rewards card because I keep doing it. I've got, it's the same reason that I feel like I'm four weeks behind at uni, even though it's only week three, because I've spent the last three weeks watching TV. I'm into this new show that I just love and I just can't get enough of it. And it's, it's this kind of thing where we know what we should do, but, but we don't do it. And like these, I've shared with you some fairly kosher habits of mine. <clears throat> I haven't even shared with you my worst habits. But the thing is about this passage is that Paul hasn't started it off talking about how he wishes he could do what God wants him to do. Paul's just started off saying, I wish I could do what I want me to do. And that's why I say it's appropriate for everybody. It's not just appropriate for those of you that, that I guess classify yourselves as Christians because all of us irrespective of what we think of God's rules we we don't even do what we think we should do and and it was the same for Paul so if we go back to verse 15 oh yeah there it is so it says um I do not understand what I do for what I want to do I do not do but what I hate I do um and if I if I do what I do not want to do I agree that the law is good. So this, that last bit, he says, I agree that the law is good. Because like I said, it's not, most of the time, it's not so much that we disagree with God's laws. We don't think he's being unfair. We don't think his laws are, are stupid or they're, they're mean or cruel or harsh. We don't have a problem with his laws. We just can't seem to follow them. So verse 17, he says, uh, As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And verse 20, Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, right off the bat, that second part, the bit where he's talking about sin living in him, that's what does it. It's not him, it's, it's the sin living in him. You read that, and I think my first thoughts are, that sounds like a bit of a cop-out. It sounds, it, doesn't, it sounds a little disingenuous to say that he's not responsible for his actions. It's sin inside him doing it. Can you imagine, just to finish off that story from before, when mum and dad got home, I'm sure you can all imagine how the, the chat with mum and dad went afterwards. It was not a fun one. Dad pulled me aside and um, gave me a bit, bit of a talk about what's appropriate and what's not and what we discussed and all of those things. But can you imagine if in, the mo in that moment I said to Dad, look, I understand what you're saying. Message received. you just got to understand. I didn't do it. It was sin living in me. <laughs> sin was living in me and that's what did it. Oh, that wouldn't have gone down very well at all. So is it really fair to say to ourselves that we're not doing the wrong thing, but the sin inside of us is doing the wrong thing. It's, it's weird that Paul is using sin in this context as a noun rather than a verb. 
A lot of the time when we think about sin, we think about the bad things that we do. And Paul's saying, don't think about sin just as the bad things that you do. Think about sin as the hurtful and selfish side of yourself that you don't really like and that you don't really understand. I think Paul wants us to think about sin a little bit like that song, Let It Go, from Frozen. I don't know how many of you have seen Frozen or at least heard the song. Have you heard the song, Let It Go? So you'll know what I mean when I say it's this evil, disgusting, horrible thing that gets inside of us. And once it gets in, it will never, ever, ever get, come out. Frozen, you might go, like, like, let it go. You might go for a week or a month, two months, six months, without thinking about that song. But all of a sudden, you're just minding your own business and bang, it's back in your head and you can't get it out for about six weeks. That's what sin is. That's what Paul's talking about when he talks about sin being a noun. Um, He says sin isn't just this random bad thing that you keep doing. It's this infection that's inside you and it's this cloud that's hanging over you. So if we go a little bit further, Paul elaborates on this idea of sin being a noun. Um, So if we go to verse 21, it says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I have another law, I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And I, like, I don't know about you guys, but I can, I can really identify with the analogy that Paul is using here. He's at his wit's end. He feels like a prisoner to the law of sin at work within him. That's what he says. Now, at some point, it's, the question sort of arises, if sin is this now, this infection that all of us have, where did it come from? How did it get to infect us all so badly? How did we come to be prisoners to sin, trying hard to do what is right, but constantly falling short? Well, a couple of chapters earlier in Romans, Paul actually lays out his theory about sin. He says that his belief is that sin came about, sin came into the world through one man, and that man being Adam, uh, when we were first created. And the rest of us have been living with sin ever since. So, in a way, it's kind of like Adam screwed things up for all of us. Now, I'd ask you guys, if you were in Adam's position, if you were the first person ever created, do you think you would have done a better job than Adam? I don't think I would have. So, Adam is this focal point. Adam's the point where sin came into our world and started infecting us, but I don't think it's fair for us to just blame Adam for the bad things that we do. Adam's a little bit like... Corey, this little twit that was in my grade in year two. And Corey was this kid who just liked mucking things up for everybody else. We'd get to 2.15 with like 45 minutes left till the end of the day. And teacher would say, if you guys work hard for another 20 minutes, do your work, be quiet, get it all done in 20 minutes, then you can go, you can have free time till the end of the day. And everyone's on board with that. Everybody in the class, except for Corey, thought that was a great idea. So everyone's doing their work, everyone's being quiet, but Corey just cannot help himself. 
Corey has to talk. Corey has to whisper. He has to laugh, giggle, make noise, and just ruin it for everybody, right? I don't know if you can tell, but I don't really like Corey. <laughs> so, that's, that's kind of how Paul is talking about Adam here. Adam, Adam's kind of stuffed things up for us. He's made it so that sin, is sin, this noun, this infection, is in the world, and we all have to deal with the consequences of that. But Paul's theory is this, and it's pretty important. Paul's theory is that if one man is responsible for sin coming into the world, then one man can be responsible for saving the rest of us from sin. The logic's, I guess, pretty clear. And if we go to Romans chapter 5 just quickly, a couple of chapters before where we are now, um, we'll see what Paul is saying. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly, meaning us. And then he goes, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, And a little bit further on in verse 15, he says, For if many died by the trespass or the sin of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So through Adam, we all became prisoners to sin to the selfish desires that we all have. But Paul says that prison was busted open when Jesus died for each of us. And the implication is pretty clear. If the prison's busted open, then you don't need to be a prisoner anymore. It's a powerful idea, but there is a small problem with it, I find. I'm just going to have a drink, sorry. So the problem is that even after we learn this, even after we learn that Jesus has died for us and that the prison of sin that we've been living in is busted open and we can leave, it's very difficult to stop living the way that we're used to living. So we may thank God for saving us and we may now want to get our lives in order, but at the end of the day, just because we were saved from sin, doesn't mean sin doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't mean we're never going to sin anymore. And the drama with that is that we get caught in this this sort of weird mindset where we think we need to clean ourselves up before we leave the prison and start following God. Now, I haven't worded Nath up for this, but Nath, can you come up and give me a hand with a little illustration, please, mate? Sweet. Um, so, I'll just get you to, yeah, just stand here, that's, this is fine. So, I want, just stand next to the desk, mate. How you feeling? Good. Okay, so Nath, I want you to imagine, Nath, the way that we, we can often think of ourselves. We live in this prison of sin, so I want you to imagine Nathan is in a prison cell, and it's all around him. Now, the thing with Nathan is, and he's a good guy, but I've got to tell you some things about Nathan. In this prison cell, 
Nath lives with all of the bad things that he can't stop himself from doing. And they're all surrounding him and surrounding him in the prison cell. Now, like I said, I don't know whether you know Nath like I know Nath, but unfortunately, Nath loves to steal. Nathan is addicted to stealing. Ask Greg, he's been embezzling from Greg for years. He steals from me, he steals from Greg, he just doesn't even care. Nath also likes to lie. Nath's a liar. He loves lying. He's addicted to lying. Nath can't stop himself from lying. He lies to everybody, don't you, mate? Yes. (laughs) Nathan's proud. He's envious. He's got a lot of things that he wishes he could change. And he's in this prison of sin, and he's in there with all the bad things that he keeps finding himself doing. Now, like we just read, um, I want you to picture that God is over here, and Nath's stuck in his prison cell, and God has sent Jesus, who's come and busted the prison cell open. Jesus has died for Nathan and busted that cell open. So Nathan is now free to leave the prison of sin that he's been in. But the problem is, for whatever reason, Nathan decides God is so good and so righteous that Nathan doesn't want God to really know about all of these evil things he's been doing. He doesn't want to leave the prison cell yet. He wants to sort them out first on his own, and then he'll go over and and hang out with God. Then he'll form a relationship with God. And that's our problem. We're in this prison cell. The door gets busted down, and Jesus said, come on, let's go over to God. And we're in our prison cell with all these evil things, and we feel so guilty about them. We think, hold on. I'll sort these out first, I'll get rid of them somehow, I'll clean the prison cell up first, and then I'll go over and and I'll form a relationship with God. But that's crazy. If if you're in prison and the door gets busted down, you just leave. You You don't hang out and clean up the prison cell first. You don't sweep it up and make sure everything's clean and you've got your affairs in order before you leave. You just leave. You go with Jesus and you walk over to God. The thing, with, the thing with prison is sometimes we get used to being there and it's a lot harder than it, than it seems to break the habits that we've formed in prison. And I think that the biggest danger that we face is that we want to fix our, our poor habits, we want to fix our sinful behaviours on our own before we form our relationship with God. With God before we go with Jesus and leave prison. But I want to challenge you, now that you know, or now that you've known for some time, I guess, that that you've been saved from the sin that hides inside you, I want to challenge you to stop wrestling with these things on your own, in your prison cell, and just to, to leave the cell and chase Jesus. Because the closer you get to Him, the easier it is to leave those things behind. Yeah, you might struggle with them for some time, but don't spend all your energy focusing on the poor habits that you have and the, and the sinful things that you find yourself doing. Look only at Jesus and follow him from your prison cell to where God is. You can sit down now, mate. Thanks. Because if we try and deal with things on our own, 
we get caught in this cycle of guilt where, you know, I eat McDonald's for lunch, then I go to work, and because I'm feeling awful and guilty about eating McDonald's for lunch, I'm really short with the people that I work with. I'm really short with my family members. I treat them poorly. I'm aggressive, I'm angry, and I'm frustrated. All because I'm feeling guilty about eating McDonald's earlier today. So then I'm feeling so crap that when I, when I leave work and I'm on my way back home, I just want to do something to make me feel better, and I find myself back at McDonald's. So stop focusing all your energy on the things that you don't want to be doing and feeling guilty about those things. I don't want to tell you that guilt is a bad thing. I just, I guess for me, what I've needed, to, what I've had to learn in the last year or two is that if we spend all our time looking at the things that we're doing wrong and obsessing over them, we're just going to find ourselves in the same loop, stuck in the same loop, stuck in the same prison cell. So stop worrying about those things and focus your energy on what you want to be chasing. Focus your energy on the person you want to be chasing and just focus on forming that relationship with Jesus and all of those other things will eventually fall away. Just to finish off, I think um, there's a verse in Hebrews chapter 12 that sums it up pretty well and it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And this is the important bit, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. If we were to read a little bit further on in Paul's, in Paul's uh, passage that we were looking at, after he complains about the evil things that he keeps on doing, in, in uh, verse 21, I think it is, he says... Um, he says, thanks be to Jesus Christ who has rescued me from this body of sin and death. So I just want you to, I want to challenge you with that as we finish uh, and I'll just pray with you now. Father God, um, we just want to come before you now and we want, to, we want to praise you and we want to thank you because you've saved us from this prison cell that we're in. You've saved us from, from ourselves and, and we can't thank you enough for that. But Lord, sometimes we get distracted by the things in our prison cell with us and we want to fix those things before we turn to you because we feel like you don't want to deal with us while we're still sinful. But Lord, we read that you died for us while we were sinful and you love us while we're sinful. So I just pray now that we would, um, we would focus not on the things that we do poorly, uh, but that we would just focus on you, that we would run to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.